Hello, everyone. Welcome to Her Journey Podcast, where we talk with incredible, talented, and powerful women about their experiences. My name is Aline, and I'm your host, and today I'm joined with Samia, an environmental justice and human rights advocate, international model, and incoming environmental law student. So, obviously, a very impressive profile, and so I'd love to give you the opportunity to actually introduce yourself and just give a little more information about who you are and what you do. Thank you so much, Aline, for that introduction. Um, it's super kind. So like you said, um, I'm an environmental I got started with that about a year ago, but my experiences and studies have led up to me entering into the advocacy space. Um, I'm involved with a couple different youth constituencies on the environment, um, and also just do kind of independent campaigning. And then, like you said, some of my immediate kind of plans are to go into law school starting this fall. I'll be a first year student and hoping to study environmental law. And on the side, I kind of do more of this advocacy on environment, but meshed with my modeling work. So super excited to get into more of that in this episode. Awesome. Thank you. So yeah, before we get into all of your incredible work, I'd love to kind of start off by talking a little bit about why specifically you advocate for environmental justice and how you really got interested in this subject at first. Mm, okay. Thank you for that question. Um, the first as to why I advocate for environmental justice, I think I think it just makes sense at the end of the day. Um, and I also think it comes out of experience and just being a Black American. Um, growing up in my home state of Maryland, I had a lot of um, just ability to see in the community around me what environmental injustices look like. Um, and it's kind of shocking in Maryland because, you know, my home county is Prince George's County, which is a predominantly Black county. And then there are other counties surrounding it that are predominantly white counties. And just in terms of um, services available, environmental benefits, um, water, pollution, it's like a whole different world when you go outside of the county um, and depending on what areas you're in. So I, it was just very obvious to me growing up what injustice looked like. And so naturally, I also just loved the environment growing up, and I always found myself doing gardening and farming and things like that. So eventually, I just realized that I couldn't imagine myself doing any other type of work. Um, and that environmental justice was just really central to how I came up understanding the world. And so that's kind of why I advocate for it, just out of you know seeing things around me. And then could you also tell me the second question you said? Oh, yeah, it was just kind of how you first got interested in the subject, but I think you kind of covered a little bit already. Yeah, a little bit of that. And I, I guess in more concrete details, um, I first really saw it when I did this internship. And I was 15 years old, actually, and it was with my county's Department of Public Works and Transportation. And so I was like an engineering intern, but I got to see kind of green infrastructure projects, stormwater management projects. And me going on field projects around in the county kind of showed me some of those dis disparities within my own county. Um, and that kind of got me thinking about why is it like this? You know, why does funding go to these places and not these places? 
why are issues addressed more slowly in this area rather than another area? So it got me thinking about those questions. And then I went on the following year to work um, actually at a farm during the spring in Southern Maryland. And it was just really eye-opening. Um, and also I worked at another farm the following summer in Bladensburg, Maryland, which is a more urban area and kind of more populated by people of color. And those two experiences just um, got me in touch with food justice, but also the reality of land and access to land and what that means for communities and people of color. Um, and it just really got me thinking about the systems that we have in place that privilege some places and that disadvantage or disproportionately burden others. So those were kind of the formative experiences for me. And when I, you know, went on to get into college, they really fueled what I decided to study. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's amazing. And now you're obviously doing a lot more environmental advocacy work and you're part of lots of these um, organizations. You do campaigns and all this amazing, um, you know, projects and work that you do. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to kind of learn more about this specific work that you do or that you participate in. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe some of the favorite projects you've worked on in the past. Ooh, okay, I love that. So I'll talk about today and then I'll go a little bit backwards. So mm -hmm. actually um, this past week I wrapped up participating in the Phoenix Consultation, which is this North American Consultation on the Rights of Children. That was organized by UNICEF, by Children Environmental Rights Initiative, um, by a couple other amazing NGOs from Canada and from Mexico. And so I was really honored to be invited to speak at the opening plenary and to just deliver my thoughts, you know, as a youth um, and as just a young woman, as a person, as a Black person, and to speak on environmental justice and what that means for the right to a healthy environment and for youth period. And so um, that was really awesome because we had the UN Special Reporter on Human Rights and the Environment who spoke at that opening panel. We had two other elders and another youth advocate from Mexico. And so um, I think it was just a great space to lay out in clear terms the issues of environmental injustice, of racial injustice, you know, social injustices, and how those are all at the root of it able to happen because of, um, you know, just not, the, I guess, the disrespect or the negligence of making sure our rights are protected. Um, so that took a lot of preparation because I was part of the advisory committee for that consultation. So I started working with them back in November of 2020 and came on to the intergenerational advisory committee that was made up of a couple youth, a couple elders, and then the um, main organizers for the consultation. And so we worked with them every step of the way, planning it to make sure that it was inclusive, um, that it was respectful, that it was appropriate in terms of the topics that were relevant to youth in Canada, the US and Mexico. Um, and during my time doing that, I really just wanted to make sure that environmental justice was a priority and what we were going to address because the outcomes of this consultation are gonna be used to inform this um, manifesto and this global charter on children's rights to a healthy environment that hopefully 
the UN Human Rights Council and the rest of the UN system is going to pick up and acknowledge, and that would have consequences or real expectations for all of the um, member states. So this work is also a follow-up of other consultations that went on in Asia um, and in the Caribbean a few years prior. So it's all a lot of momentum building up and I'm really happy that I got to be a part of formulating the consultation of setting the tone for the consultation on the first day. And then also I was really happy to be an MC for it um, and to help kind of guide people through that work. Cause there were so many youth that came in and participated. It was super cool to hear their ideas. And then ultimately to help um, ask questions to some of these leaders we had on at the closing panel for the event. So that was just this past week and it was very intensive, but also very gratifying and just really inspiring to hear from youth and young children from you know North America to hear the issues that are really important to them. Um, but I guess if I go back a bit, um, this past year, of course I was graduating from my senior year or my, my actually my third and final year of undergrad at St. John's University. Um, and I actually did two internships, which is wild. <laughs> but um, for the course of the year, I worked with the United States Agency for International Development and I essentially came on with them and was tasked at looking at their environmental programming and all of the aid and um, services that they provide to other countries, just as you know, an agency of the United States government. But to see within that, does environmental justice exist in their methods, in their planning, um, or is it not there? And so I worked with two other amazing um, young women, also two other young black women, from other parts of the states. And that's really what we took on during the course of the year. We did kind of um, individual research. So mine was more so focused on Mali, um, the country. And I looked at some of the programs that USAID is the abbreviation that they do in that country um, in terms of environment and how that performs and what they need. And so I ended up providing recommendations on how they can actually incorporate environmental justice and climate justice into and racial justice into all of the environment programming that they do. Because unfortunately, um, it might seem like a no brainer to um, young people, but that just is not the case nor the formality in those spaces and just generally in our in our government when I refer to the US as a whole. So that work was definitely um, a year long really that I to produce um, a paper to keep with them and that I know that they will be using to um, improve their program. So it's definitely really fulfilling and an eye-opening experience. And then in the fall, um, I did a separate internship with New York State's Attorney General's Office in their Environmental Protection Bureau and was just doing a ton of research on um, environmental protections, statutes in New York State, trying to do the research to support actual environmental litigation to protect, you know, the citizens of New York State, but also if there ended up being other, um, you know, amicus briefs that could support the work of other states, that's kind of what I was involved in too. So outside of all of that though, um, like you mentioned, I'm a part of these youth constituencies, but actually I'm a member of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change there. Um, youth constituency. And with that, I'm involved in all types of projects, um, whether it's 
interventions for um, the climate dialogues, which I was really happy to do in the fall, um, or just other events where their abbreviation is Youngo. Essentially, they are a subsidiary body, and as youth, they are entitled to provide their perspectives, opinion, um, at actual formal UNF C processes. So it's just really supporting that within their human rights working group and also in their um, nationally determined contributions or NBC working group. And that can be anything on any given day, um, but it's definitely super fun and engaging. And I would encourage like really anyone who's interested in these things to join because there's no cost. You can, there's people from all over the world, you know, from the States, there's actually less, but it's great to be in an environment where the US is not the center of all of the debates and negotiations and things like that. So I'm definitely grateful to be a part of that and to be involved. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, all those projects sound really, really exciting. And I think the mission and the goals that you were working towards are all incredibly important to cover. So absolutely love all of that work. And yeah, I mean, I know that, again, you have done lots of internships, lots of projects with all these different organizations or even independent research projects. And so in all of your work with environmental justice, are there any specific experiences or stories that really stand out from everything you've done um, that, you know, really spoke to you or impacted you in some larger way? Mm, I think, well, one perhaps example, well, maybe I can think of a few, but if I had to think of one, most importantly, I would think of like um, my recent experience with USAID. And so part of my work was to actually have consultations with um, people who work there, people who work at missions. So they're actually stationed you know, around the world um, or also with people who are based on what they call the Washington side. So based in the US and more on the policy end and not really like program end. But in all of those conversations, you know, I kept these questions to see their understanding of environmental justice um, and climate justice. And across the board, there was just this like drop off of knowledge, you know, like it was just really um, grounding for me to realize that the thing that I'm so passionate about and I'm so knowledgeable about and that I really want to see change, the average person is not does not really know what, what it means to begin with and often has misconceptions about what it, what the impact is meant for and why it's relevant. And so it just really showed me that and also at the same time how part of that could be the result of just sheer lack of diversity in these spaces, period. Um, a lot in, in USAID, it's very overwhelmingly white um, and just there's a lot of, there are a lot of barriers to getting even into those positions of influence within the agency, just out of, you know, requirements in terms of what's considered um, expertise or relevant degrees or et cetera. And it just really made me reflect on how we close ourselves out from actually learning and being equipped for these crises to change and adapt to what we're seeing today, literally because we our definitions of knowledge, you know, understanding or valuable experience, I just feel are very colonial. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that's something we're trying to see change within the U.S. 
people from different places to enter into positions of influence, which is really important. But also at the same time, there could be someone who in their position is technically considered a diverse, you know, um, diverse person in that position. But that does not always guarantee that the issues are at the forefront for them as well. So there are just a couple things that really honed into me why this is so relevant and that it's everyone's job to learn about environmental justice, racial justice, climate justice, all of these things and why they're interconnected and really why it makes no sense for us to spend any more money or to work on any other projects if we're not addressing them at the same time. Because in the long run, it's a loss. Um, they're not sustainable. They're not inclusive. Um, they don't respect human rights. So I don't know. I think it just gave me a reality check as to what the environment sector looks like today and how it has been um, and what where it needs to go. But at the same time, you know, when I mentioned I was a I was a part of this intergenerational advisory committee. I was the only black person in the advisory committee. Um, and from what I could see of the organizing, and of course this is only from my um, exposure to who was behind the scenes at these NGOs organizing it, I was the only one. But um, thankfully, you know, during the consultation, we had some amazing, amazing experts come on. There were two amazing black women who came and spoke one who was an expert about intersectionality and another who is a young black woman. Actually, her name is Mary Black and she's running to uh, for a campaign in I think uh, South Carolina now. I could be wrong, I might be butchering it, but I think those were two people that I was grateful to see come and that I am grateful they wanted to include. Um, but yeah, I just think across the board, you know, there's a lot of effort going on to address these issues. There are a lot of people with their hearts and minds in the right place. But in terms of execution and actually prioritizing these issues and naming them, that it can, people can be intimidated by it, but it just kind of holds us back if we avoid or peter around it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think you brought up a lot of really valuable insights and you actually kind of touched on your work for social equity as well. And I know that you kind of combine, you know, uh, equality with your work in environmental justice. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd love to kind of know actually how you first realized that there was kind of this link between those two subjects or concepts. Um, and then also kind of just tell me a little bit more about your experience as a whole with navigating this field as a POC or um, navigating this field of just connecting these two topics of, um, you know, social equity and environmental justice? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think like I was mentioning before, part of that definitely came from this lived experience. Um, and I will say that when I was a senior in high school, I actually took AP Environmental Science and I loved that class, but I realized that there was little to no mention of just environmental justice. I, I don't even know if I came across that word during my AP environmental science class. Um, and I could just see like the lack of consideration of actual factors of like nationality, you know, race, gender, um, disability or ability, you know, sexuality. I just wasn't seeing those things come up. And at the same time, you know, 
during my high school years, we were seeing a lot of momentum with Black Lives Matter. You know, there was a lot going on with different um, immigration laws coming in. And it was just a very, very um, volatile time during the Trump administration. And there were a lot of inequalities being shown on the news every single day. And I just really decided to take a look at environment and what I could see around me and think where, you know, where does this all fall together and fall into place? So I ended up majoring in environmental science in undergrad. And I had to really take it upon myself to go learn about how these things intersected. It wasn't really given to me in my work. Of course, you know, the mention of climate change, it does come up about, okay, the global north has made all of these historical emissions compared to the global south, which is not responsible for all these historical emissions, but still mm -hmm. has to develop and, and, you know, et cetera, that dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, but go somewhere else to see this in action again like I feel like lived experience was the best way for me to understand so the summer of 2019 I went to study abroad in China actually with the Middlebury School of the Environment and I had no expectations going in I kind of just wanted to learn what the environmental issues were in China because I imagine they were extremely different than the U.S. and they were they were radically different um, but I hadn't imagined before going there that I was going to encounter issues of, you know, um, ethnic disparity when I got there. And I think that was very eye opening for me to just know that, um, you know, these situations are not just isolated to the United States where there are differences based on race. But in another country, for example, like China, where there are, you know, I think around 55 different ethnic groups and that are mostly centralized in the Western region. And so I got to see kind of how um, industries were able to exploit their resources like water and their soil, um, or just to impact local fisheries or, you know, just ways of life that existed um, or even damming up, you know, longstanding free running rivers and how that destroyed biodiversity for people that ruined their lands that just you know, I'm sorry, displaced them. Um, it was just really um, eye-opening once again to just see that oftentimes the same issues that spur inequality and environmental injustice, injustices in the West also happen everywhere else. Um, and so I think that helped motivate me to look at those issues in an even greater lens. And then I got involved on campus um, with our Earth Club which was really cool because I got to be around other like-minded individuals. And then I took on some leadership positions also in our student government. I was the head of our, or co-head co or co-chair of our sustainability committee. And um, I just got to help increase awareness on campus of environmental justice, of sustainability. Um, and I had this one event where I was able to speak to the local chapter of UNA USA at St. John University. And they wanted me very impromptu to speak on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't meant to be the one to speak at that event, but they had me come in. And I think when I get, got to see the SDGs and learn them in a greater dimension and really understand um, how they are interlinked, I think that also set off a light bulb. 
um, after I gave that talk. And then from then on, I kind of realized that, you know, my career path is going to have to be centered around this um, questions of equity, of justice, of just social justice. I just knew my environment work couldn't be separated from the state of things, you know, on this planet. So those were things that I kind of think about when it comes to why equity in my work. And yeah, I think from that point on, I just started to really educate myself more, engage on the media more. And eventually during that um, summer of 2020, during COVID, I had a lot of time to think, mm-hmm. uh, just read articles and reflect. And then I just kind of decided from there on that I would become more outwardly active because you know, me thinking of these things in the comfort of my own home, being very privileged, um, doesn't help anyone. So I just decided that I have, you know, the ability and the, the knowledge that many other youth and just people in general are not aware of these avenues for advocacy. But because I had become aware of them, I felt a responsibility to then act on it and to keep or to help some momentum and keep it going. So by that time that I had that realization that like momentum of passion come into me, um, I found out about this global campaign on the human right to a healthy environment and that they're trying to get the UN to universally recognize it. And so from there, I said, you know what? I don't see any youth represented in this campaign at all. So I might as well just hop in and see what I can do. And then I took it from there. And so that's how I kind of am where I am now. Um, and some of the relationships I've built, um, some of the opportunities that I've been able to partake in, to really speak and just, you know, the more that I absorb knowledge and understanding and have conversations with people. Because collective consciousness is what we need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And you touched on kind of how, you know, advocating for these causes and kind of working in these projects has, you know, kind of shaped you, has helped you to grow, gain these new perspectives. And so I'm wondering if you have any main messages that um, you find really important or any information that you learned throughout your journey that you feel is really important for, um, for example, other youth or other minorities to understand when they're kind of tackling, let's say, this specific issue of, um, you know, environmental justice or social equity? Mm. Yeah, I definitely think, um, well, something that I've come to understand over the past year was getting really intimate with what environmental justice means to me. When you hear that word, I think a lot of people automatically go to think about, you know, pollution. That's their, kind of the first place where their brain goes. And I kind of played a game with that as well. When I was talking about those consultations I did, I'd say, what comes to mind when you hear the word environmental, the words environmental justice? And they would say, ah, pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not just that. Environmental justice is not, you know, so much the issue. Environmental justice is more like the vision. Um, examples of environmental injustices are things like, you know, chemical pollutants being in the water of um, indigenous people on reservations when in the neighboring town that is predominantly white, they don't encounter those same water pollution issues. Or, you know, environmental injustices can also look like 
just not having access to environmental benefits. And when people say that, they mean access to green spaces. Like actually, when you look at a city or, um, you know, from an aerial view, you can notice the correlation between an area that's lower income, there's less trees, there's less parks, versus an area that's higher income, there's more tree coverage, you know, there's more availability to be near water and all of those things. Um, and it's also just about actually being able to participate in decision making. So the way I remember it ultimately is by having a three-pronged approach to environmental justice. The first thing is this distribution. So when I mean that, I'm saying, where are the environmental benefits located? How are they distributed? And then how are the environmental burdens distributed? And that will make you think, okay, some area is more likely to have um, smoke in the air, you know, from coal mines or whatever it is, and some areas are not. And so it's just thinking about which places are disproportionately burdened or who are disproportionately experiencing benefits. It's not just about harms, it's about benefits too. And then it's also about within distribution, like I mentioned with the Department of Public Works and Transportation, where does help go first? Where does the energy go first in the funding, in the money and remediation of these harms? Which communities have the most clout when it comes to advocating for themselves? or when it comes to, you know, kind of resisting things coming in their neighborhoods or in their immediate environments. And there are a lot of examples of that going on today with Enbridge, you know, and their line three in the US and indigenous communities are literally saying, you're violating our treaty rights. Um, you're not respecting even what the permit set out to do. Um, and that just comes down to, but who, who gets influenced when it comes to saying, we don't want this in our neighborhood. If it were another place, it would be less likely for those projects to even be sought after. Um, so that second thing, that second element, what I'm saying of the three-pronged approach is participation. And that's what I mean when saying, how is the community involved in decision-making? Are they involved at all? Do they give their free, prior and informed consent before anything goes on with them? Or do you just plop, you know, or do you just, clear-cut forest in the Amazon, you know, kind of, and no one has a say in anything. Um, and then at the same time, it's actually letting them participate in the solutions that are supposed to be helping their communities because it's important to recognize communities have agency over what goes on. And a lot of the times they have knowledge that we, or when I say we, I mean government, officials, you know, representatives, are normally tapped into, and that goes into the third piece. It's communities have these really close-knit, place-based relationships to where they are set. You know, indigenous people have very, very close relationships to the land that they live on, to land that they were displaced from. And so it's important that we recognize those ways of life um, if one example of that is kind of what's going on with the salmon. In fact, it's very scary that, um, you know, a big portion of salmon could be wiped out and that would really damage the way indigenous people enjoy their, you know, normal ways of eating and hunting and whatever else. And at the same time, it's just um, recognizing that their knowledge systems um, or the knowledge systems of just people who exist close to the land 
understand ways that climate change, understand the ways that ecology and ecosystems work in ways that we try to explain with science, but it's kind of like where Christopher Columbusing what indigenous people already knew. <laughs> so we have to just take a moment and actually recognize the knowledge, recognize the cultural relationships, and we can't step over them anymore the same way that, you know, things have been done in the history of this country. And this isn't just about the U.S., it's about all around the world. These same concepts apply to everywhere. So that's really what environmental justice means to me, thinking about distribution, participation, recognition. And at the same time, people think environmental justice can just be this thing that comes along, you know, oh, okay, we'll let people say yes or no to this thing coming in their neighborhood. But we have to actually drastically change the systems that we exist in in order for environmental justice to actually be achieved. Because the way that we operate right now as a country and as just a global system that has become interwoven through capitalism, through neoliberalism, you know, settler colonialism, imperialism, all of these isms, um, just the way we exist is not sustainable nor conducive to making sure environmental justice is possible. And that takes deep reflection as to how we operate in terms of economy, in terms of education, you know, labor, all of these elements. It's, it's really a societal shift that has to happen on a global scale, like as a global collective for environmental justice to be possible because we could try to go after that in the US and in some way end up ensuring that, okay, communities of color and low income communities are not disadvantaged or disproportionately burdened anymore, that they're able to participate, that we recognize, you know, intricate land relationships, cool. But do we take that outside of our own country? Do we do that for everyone else internationally? And that's where just the question of, you know, morality and our values and ethics comes up. And that's where I really find myself um, trying to work on the most. And I feel like my work is more so centered on the national level and the international level. But we need everyone at each level. You know, we need people at the community level who are helping out and being able to empower themselves to actually advocate and to the same things. We need people on regional levels. We need people on state levels, you know, on the national and all of that. Um, but ultimately, I think something else that came to me through doing this environmental justice work is that human rights are the underlying assumption for environmental justice to exist. If we don't recognize that people have a human right to a healthy environment, to clean air, to clean water, to a safe climate, to sustainable food systems. Um, and these that I'm saying are, are part of this campaign or this proposal to have the UN recognize this right. It includes all these elements that I'm mentioning. And it also includes the right for people to get justice within um, legal systems to actually be able to seek remedies for when things happen to them, that they can come and say, you know, if you've damaged my ancestral homeland, I need um, appropriate compensation or I need appropriate reparations of land or whatever it is um, to address the issues going on. So that has to be the underlying shared value that everyone has so that on top of that kind of foundation is how I think about it. Then we can have environmental justice 
sitting on top, supported by kind of those three notions that I mentioned before. So that's pretty much my, those are my major just values that I come into these spaces of advocacy that I really hope people will understand and that, yeah, you can't separate these issues from any of the other movements going on. Mm-hmm. Um, justice as a whole, I think of it, I think of environmental justice as climate justice, racial justice, social justice, as just little, um, just leaves on the branch. You know, at, at the end of the day, they are all necessary for a tree to prosper and to grow. It can't happen without others. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you brought up a lot of really important points there. Um, and it's very clear to me that these issues of you know social equity or just advocating for environmental justice are very important to you. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering if you have any goals or plans for maybe the impact that you hope to make later in your life through your work for you know these causes that you're passionate about. Or I know that you're studying environmental law right now and you're also um, you're an international model. And so I'd love to know if you have any goals for even yourself or your career, just to wrap up today's episode. Yeah, so thanks for that. I definitely do have some goals um, and I'm still, you know, formulating them. I'm still trying to see where I can best use kind of my gifts, my energy, you know, my perspectives. And so I immediately kind of in the short term, you know, want to study environmental law at um, law school. You know, I do want to get through with the bar when that time comes. And then, but I actually don't plan on practicing law, very interestingly enough. I just want to get into policy. I really want to get into just actually making those decisions that I feel are necessary to get us where we need to be on these issues. Um, and literally, quite frankly, what the global community, what scientists, what advocates, indigenous people, you know, everyone has been saying for the past. I don't even know how many years. So I definitely want to get into policymaking, whether that's on a local level, a state level, if it's on the national level. I also think about kind of going into the executive branch of things, like kind of these how these agencies work, like the Environmental Protection Agency. I think it would be really awesome to end up there one day and be able to take policy on how the U.S. is even going to take care of itself and its activities in other countries. I think that would be super pertinent. And I don't know, I hope that after I gain enough experience um, in these spaces of actually just bringing the issues to the table that maybe one day I can represent people um, and actually just be at the table myself, <laughs> you know, and actually just um, stand on what I speak on and have it come into action. Um, I don't know if those that will look different by the time, you know, I am old enough to actually, you know, run and take a part of those things because I am 21 now. So, you know, there is a lot of time for me, but um, I don't know. Hopefully there's some system change in my time comes, but yeah, that's definitely a goal. And I definitely intend to continue this advocacy work with the UN. Um, I really be hope to be able to address the UN Human Rights Committee. That would be a very big dream. Um, or just to have 
greater intimacy and connection with the U.S. system um, because there does come a point where um, with enough exposure, with enough momentum and support that um, there can be a level of influence reached. And that's another, sorry, one second, I had a little But that's another um, benefit that kind of comes with increasing visibility, visibility in media because um, I really hope that through becoming more of a recognizable face, just in that aspect, that I can help people learn about these topics, even if it's through a way they wouldn't have naturally intended to learn about it. So, mm -hmm. you know, with modeling, um, one of the jobs that I did that will be coming out hopefully this year, I don't know when, but, um, I was able to kind of represent being an environmental advocate for their work um, and just for different brands and companies that are hoping to become more sustainable because obviously there's a transitional time period for these things, you know, it doesn't take too to have these goals are sustainable, like they have to be worked with. So I would be really excited to take on more of those advisory roles that I've already done in the past and just help shape the path of a company to actually reaching their, you know, carbon targets, um, to working and having fair labor practices in the places that they source from, to actually knowing that the resources they use were sustainable or were even restorative or regenerative to the environment. Like, I just feel through the different experiences that I've had and a lot of different capacities, a lot of different ways that I have some valuable expertise to help in that capacity with the private sector. So I could see it going a couple different ways. Um, I just hope that at the end of it, underlying it, that I'm able to just get the message out. However it takes shape for me and whatever my true career ends up being, I will take it as it comes. But I'm just grateful that um, people actually enjoy hearing me speak about these things and they actually learn something and they tell me that afterwards and I, I think it's just really fulfilling for me to hear that because you know you spend so much energy and passion and it's just nice to see people change perspectives after mm -hmm. hearing with them mm -hmm. right yeah I mean that all sounds amazing and I'm definitely excited to see what the future holds for you and I absolutely love the conversation we had today I think that you brought up a lot of really incredible insights and points, and I loved learning about your background. And yeah, just to kind of end today's episode, I'd love for you to just shout out any social media platforms or websites, um, you know, for either any of the work that you do or just for yourself before we completely end today's recording. Sure. So um, just if you are interested in following the work that I do, I'm on all social media platforms, essentially. You can find me at my name, Samia Shell. Um, and otherwise, I would just encourage people to, if you are on social media, like if you're on Instagram, to please, please, please follow um, different accounts. You can just learn about these things and it become easier and just more comfortable to know these words, like environmental justice, environmental racism, climate justice, all of these things. So some accounts that I love are Black Girl Environmentalists, um, Future Earth, Slow Factory, um, The One Movement. There are just so many. And once you follow one of them, like I'm really certain you'll get recommended for other ones that are similar. 
Um, and it's just really a way to be more conscious about yourself, your community, the world. We're at a point where we can't um, afford to think we are individuals. I'm a strong believer in collective action and just being a part of a productive and considerate and loving member of a collective. And I really would encourage everyone to think about how they can do that in their own way. And to know that, you know, you don't necessarily have to speak about everything to care about it. You can, there are other gifts and other ways that people can participate in the movement. So just think about what it means to you and what feels natural. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Oh, and one other thing that people can check out is myplanetmyrights.org. And that is where you can sign the petition to get children's right to a healthy environment recognized. Um, yeah, and other than that, just things that you can look up, human right to a healthy environment, to learn more. And I think that's it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. And yeah, everybody, please go check out the platforms that she mentioned. And thank you again so much for just coming on here and being a guest today. Thank you so much. It was awesome. It was a pleasure.